Here we go. How many of you have ever been mistreated? (laughs) I think everybody. How many of you have ever been mistreated over a long period of time by the same person? (laughs) You just can't wait to get your hands up, can you? Can we say their name? Can we say their name? (laughs) How many of you have been treated by someone that... After honest examination of yourself, uh, the the best that, you know, you've opened your heart up before God, you've, you've said, show me if I've done something wrong, and to the best of your ability to evaluate yourself, you haven't done anything wrong to the person. How, how many have been mistreated by someone that you just didn't do anything wrong to? Uh, still, quite a, quite a few of us. Um, how many of you have ever been mistreated by someone you love? Lots of us, yeah. And here's one more, if you're willing to answer this. How many of you feel as though you are currently enduring some type of mistreatment uh, from another person? Fewer, but still a number of, a number of hands throughout uh, the congregation. Well, the reality is, and you guys have proven this today, that all of us face uh, mistreatment. And a good number of us in here today are currently facing mistreatment. And if we aren't, uh, it's probably, history would tell us, it's just right around the corner uh, for us. Sometimes the mistreatment that we face in life is of a fairly mild variety, uh, more of an irritation, uh, uh, an annoyance, more than anything real serious. But sometimes the mistreatment that we face is very significant, uh, it, it involves things that are really hurtful. It involves things that are really uh, painful. The story that we're going to look at today in the Bible is especially relevant to our lives because it deals with uh, mistreatment. It's relevant for our lives whatever the level of mistreatment that we uh, may be facing or have faced or will face uh, in the future. You know... Uh, I just mentioned this, but I think it bears repeating. If you're not facing mistreatment now, it's going to happen. I mean, for all of us, it is going to happen. It's just a matter of time until it comes into our lives again. And so even if you're not right at this moment facing mistreatment, this story is invaluable to us today to prepare us for what is inevitable, that time when we once again are being Uh, mistreated. So we're continuing in our series in 1 Samuel today, and this is going to be the uh, last Sunday that will be exclusively in 1 Samuel. Uh, Next week, we're going to be moving into 2 Samuel. And today, what we're looking at, what we're considering is the relationship between King Saul and David, who we know was anointed by Samuel once God had rejected Saul. David was anointed to take Uh, um, once God had rejected Saul. So David was anointed to take Saul's place. But at the time of the story that we're going to look at today, Saul is still king. David's been anointed to replace him, but Saul is still king. He's still on the throne, and David is still uh, his subject. If you've been reading through 1 Samuel, at least if you read through it when our daily Bible reading took us through uh, 1 Samuel, or if you've been with us for most of this uh, series, then you're pretty aware of the storyline regarding David and Saul. 
Saul is rejected by God as king of Israel for his disobedience. David is anointed king, but throughout 1 Samuel, Saul remains the king. Saul is introduced to David when he begins to be tormented by an evil spirit. And his advisors come to him with the idea that he should employ someone who plays the harp skillfully. And whenever he's tormented by the evil spirit, he would bring this person in to play the harp and he would be calmed. And so David knew how to play the harp. One of Saul's advisors was aware of David. And so he's introduced to Saul. Saul liked him very much. And so they entered into this relationship that whenever Saul would be tormented by the evil spirit, David would come in and play and Saul would be comforted. And then we also know of their uh, being brought together through the story that we looked at last week as David arrives on the scene when the armies of Israel are uh, facing off against the armies of the Philistines and being challenged by the giant Goliath. David steps to the forefront. He offers to, to fight Goliath on behalf of Israel. He defeats Goliath and he hands Israel uh, through the power of God a great uh, victory. So the king... And the man who's anointed to replace him are brought into each other's orbit. And a a relationship begins to develop between them. And David serves Saul. And Saul would increasingly give David greater responsibility. And whatever Saul gave David to do, David did it with great success. So much so that he rose to a very high rank in the army. Uh, His exploits were so significant that when David would return home from a military campaign, the women would come out into the towns and uh, into the streets of the towns and they would be singing and they would be dancing and they would sing things like this, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And as you might imagine, King Saul didn't like this little uh, song that was so popular. He became angry at this. And so we see chapter 17, David uh, slays Goliath, delivers a, a great victory to Israel. And we see the very next chapter, chapter 18, that Saul becomes jealous of David. And then by chapter 19, Saul is committed to killing David. And for the rest of 1 Samuel, Saul wants to kill David, and David is in danger for his life. Something you need to know as we go on, and that you already do know if you're familiar with the story, is that David served Saul faithfully. David was faithful to Saul. David did not wrong Saul in any way. He did nothing wrong. And yet Saul was jealous of him. And yet Saul had murderous intentions toward him. What we're going to see in our text today is that in spite of Saul's mistreatment, David continued to honor him. He continued to respect him. I believe it's pretty clear in the text that he even continued to love him. And these things are evident throughout the book of 1 Samuel. You know, the most painful mistreatment that we ever face is mistreatment at the hands of people that we love. Of course, as Christians, we, we know we're supposed to love everyone with the love of Christ. But 
You know what I'm saying. The worst mistreatment comes at the hands of those who we're especially fond of, those who are who, who hold a special place in our heart, those that we have a close relationship with, those that we have a close bond with. And this was the case with David. He honored Saul, he loved Saul, but he was horribly mistreated by Saul. He was wronged, he was treated unjustly. And so this story has great relevance for all of us who find ourselves mistreated, especially if we're being mistreated by someone that we're close to. And from this story, we're going to find how David responded to Saul's mistreatment. We're going to discover what I believe is the key that enabled David to respond well, and then we'll discover how we should respond when we're mistreated. So let's read the text. It's 1 Samuel 24. Uh, We've been reading a lot of scripture in this series, and we'll do so again today. We're going to read the entire chapter, and uh, I'll read. You follow along as I do. I am back to reading from the NIV uh, today. So here's what we find. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Sounds like a uh, street name in Pataskala. Um, he, uh, he, he, he came every once in a while. I'm funny, aren't I? Just admit it. All right. Uh, he came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. 
When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So Saul has been pursuing David, unjustly committed to killing him. Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. David and his men are farther back in the cave. Saul is completely vulnerable to David and his men. David has the opportunity right in front of him to end the threat on his life. And all he has to do is kill the person who is bent on killing him. From this chapter, I want us to consider today how David responded to Saul's mistreatment of him. And each thing we learn about David's response is instructive to how we should respond when we're mistreated. The first thing that I want us to note from the text is that David refused to harm Saul. He refused to harm Saul. He refused to take matters into his own hands. He refused to repay evil with evil. And he refused to do so even though it appeared as though God had given him an opportunity to end this threat on his life. When David and his men discover Saul and have him in this vulnerable position, what did the men say to David? They, they say to him, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemies into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Wouldn't it have been easy for David to conclude that that was the case? Wouldn't it have been easy for David to conclude that, yes, in fact, it does appear pretty clear that God has delivered Saul into my hands? I mean, Saul was pursuing him unjustly. Saul was bent on killing him. Saul was rejected by God. David was God's choice to be the king of Israel. How easy it would have been to see this as God delivering Saul into David's hands to end the injustice, to rid the nation of a rejected king, and to give the nation the king that God had chosen. But David doesn't see it this way. He discerns something different than his men, and he rejects the advice to harm Saul, to take matters into his own hands. Instead, he, he creeps up unnoticed and he cuts off the corner of Saul's robe. And as the text told us, he ends up feeling awful about having even done that. And so he says to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing. The Lord's anointed or lift my hand against him for he is the anointed of the Lord. And so we're told that with these words, David rebuked his men and would not allow them to attack Saul. So Saul left the cave, went on his way, 
unaware of the vulnerable position that he had just been in. The temptation that we face when we're mistreated is much like what David faced. We are tempted to repay evil with evil. We are tempted to go into attack mode. We are tempted to inflict similar damage as has been inflicted on us. And sometimes what rises up on the inside of us when we're mistreated is a desire to destroy the person who's mistreating us, whatever that might mean, destroying their reputation, damaging their relationships, whatever the case might be, but we have a desire that rises up in us to destroy. And often we can come up with justifications for why this would be okay, why it would be acceptable for us to do such a thing. We, we reason with ourselves, well, what this person is doing is wrong. It's, it's unjust. We know what they're doing is displeasing to God. If they're Christians, we know that what they're doing makes them a hypocrite. And sometimes, when people mistreat us, we learn things about them. Things that we feel others need to know. Things that we believe need to be exposed and brought to the light. Their hypocrisy needs to be known by others, we think. Their hateful attitudes need to be known by others. David did not give in to the temptation to harm Saul. He did not interpret Saul's vulnerability as needing to be exploited to bring about justice. David refused to harm Saul. He refused to take matters into his own hands. And we should follow David's example when we're mistreated. I mean, after all, was it not Christ himself who taught us, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Challenging verse. A hard command for us to accept. But it is how we should respond when we're mistreated. So Saul left the cave. David followed him out of the cave. He called out to him, my lord, the king. Saul turned around. David bowed before him, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And then we see the second response of David to Saul's mistreatment. Here's his second response. He defended himself. And he appealed for Saul to see and embrace the truth. Note the things that David says. Why do you listen to those who say I'm bent on harming you? You see that the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. And he shows him the corner of his robe. David says, now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. He says, I have not wronged you. And yet you're hunting me down 
to take my life. David defends himself. He states his case. He refuses to harm Saul, but he also refuses to compromise the truth. He knows he's done nothing wrong. While we must never seek to harm those who mistreat us, we are free to defend ourselves. We are never asked to compromise the truth. Here's a tendency that I've noticed uh, in people. A, uh, A tendency that I've noticed about people who mistreat others. And honestly, a tendency I've noticed about people who mistreat me. Often, when you try to work through a problem, here's what people want to do. Even if you have not done anything wrong to them, they don't want to own up to the truth that they have unjustly mistreated you. And so people try to find ways to make peace that are something like, that goes something like this. Well... You know, we've all made mistakes here. So let's just allow this to be water under the bridge and let's just move on. I want to be very clear that there are times when that is true and a perfectly acceptable way to move forward. But if you have honestly examined yourself before God and you have not wronged the person mistreating you, responding well... Responding in a God-pleasing way does not mean you take blame for something you did not do or admit wrong that you did not commit. Can I suggest to you that what that is is just another form of mistreatment at the hands of the person who's mistreated you. It's just another way of being bullied. When we are mistreated... It is okay to defend ourselves. It is okay to point out that we've not wronged the other person if that's really true. It's always okay to stand on what is true. It's always okay to appeal for the person who mistreated you to see and embrace the truth about the situation. Responding well doesn't mean you have to admit wrong you haven't committed. It doesn't mean you have to be a doormat. It doesn't mean you have to compromise the truth. The the person who, excuse me, who mistreated you might try to get you to believe you have to admit something you didn't do. And here's another one. Well-meaning, peace-loving advisors may try to get you to admit wrong that you didn't do. Let's just say we all messed up here. Because they have a desire for peace. Just take a little blame for a little illusory wrong that you committed. But friends, peace that is reached by compromising the truth is no peace at all. It's just not peace. David defended himself. He appealed to Saul to see and accept the truth, and we can do that too. In a loving way, 
in a humble way that honestly opens ourselves up before God for examination. But if we do that and, and to the best of our ability, we have, we have allowed God to shine the light of truth on our own souls and we say, I've not, I've not wronged the person, we can defend ourselves and stand on the truth. And then we see the third way David responded to mistreatment. Look at verse 12. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from the hand of evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Verse 15, may the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. David responded to Saul's mistreatment by recognizing that God would judge the matter, that justice would ultimately be done. David didn't need to harm Saul. He didn't have to take matters into his own hands because he knew that God saw the situation as it really was. God knew the truth. And God would judge between them. And God would judge the matter justly. David knew God would vindicate him. And David knew that God would deliver him. When we are mistreated, we can respond well if we really believe that God will judge the matter justly. And if we will believe that if we are truly innocent, God knows that. And he will vindicate us. And he will deliver us. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. You don't have to raise your hand, but just just answer this for yourself. Do you believe God is a just judge? He is. Do you believe that if you're really innocent of wrongdoing, that God knows the truth? Amen. Amen. If you believe those things about God, you can leave any situation to his judgment. You don't have to seek justice on your own. David responded to Saul's mistreatment by refusing to harm Saul, by defending himself and appealing to the truth, and by recognizing that God knew the truth and God would judge the matter justly. And this is how we should respond when we're mistreated. The rest of the chapter tells us of Saul admitting that he had treated David poorly. He even weeps, the Bible tells us. But because we know the whole story, we know that Saul's admission and his weeping did not result in any meaningful change. He remained committed to killing David. You know, sometimes the people who mistreat us will have moments of clarity where they see things correctly. We, we might not even know this happens in, in their lives, but in their private thoughts at least, they have moments of clarity. Uh, sometimes we may know because sometimes those moments of clarity may even result in an apology. But all of you, I'm sure, have had an experience of an apology that was hollow no reconciliation really happened. The moment of regret passes for the person, and then they continue their mistreatment. 
Sometimes, like David, we have to endure a long season of mistreatment. A long season of mistreatment. And I think there is a key that we find in this chapter about how we can respond well when we're mistreated. And I think it's especially important when we are called to endure a long season of mistreatment. So how do we do it? You know, it's one thing to know what responding well looks like, but how do we get ourselves to respond that way? There are all kinds of things that we know we just can't do. How do we do this? How do we move from just knowing what the right response is to, to doing it? I think David shows us the way. Here's the key that David shows us. Here's how I believe that David was able to respond well. Throughout the mistreatment, throughout the long season of mistreatment, he always remembered, he always kept in mind who Saul was. Saul was the anointed of the Lord. Look at verse 6. David says this about the opportunity to harm Saul. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David says the same thing to Saul in verse 10. How Saul treated David did not change who Saul was. No matter how he acted, it didn't change the fact that he was the king of Israel. He was the anointed of the Lord. David was able to endure this long season of mistreatment because he never forgot who Saul was. He always kept in mind who Saul was. Now, some of you have been around the church long enough that you know when this is preached about, the pastor almost always uses it as an example to say that no matter how awful he is, you just have to put up with it. And I'm not going to say that. I sensed your tension over this, this passage as I was talking about this. Some of you have heard that preached. You've heard this preached that because of this, no matter what a pastor's doing, you have to leave him alone. There are a lot of things you can leave a pastor alone about if he's doing, but, uh, but uh, that's not what this means. Here's the truth about how we respond well when we're mistreated, how we can please God when we're mistreated, how we can endure well when we're mistreated even for a long season. We can respond well. We can get ourselves to do this by remembering who the people are that are mistreating us. Now, we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do this. We can't do it in our own strength, but the Holy Spirit will empower us to do this. You see, how someone treats us does not change certain facts about them. There are certain facts that remain true of every person you ever come in contact with, no matter how badly they behave. 
There are certain things that are true of every person you know, including those who treat you badly. The truth of the matter is, friend, that the application of this passage for us is that everyone should be viewed by us as the anointed of the Lord. Because you see, everybody you know, including those who mistreat you, are people who are created in the image of God. Now, God's image may be badly marred in them. You might have to strain really hard to see the image of God in them. But every person you've ever met or will meet, they're created by God. They are created in the image of God. And here's the second thing that we need to keep in mind. They are loved by God. They're loved by God. Every person who has ever mistreated you, including the one mistreating you now, including the person who's mistreated you over a long season, the person who has spread lies about you, the person who's lashed out at you even though you were only trying to help them, the person who said bad things about you on Facebook or unfriended you, the person who insulted you, the person who treated your kid badly, the boss who makes every day at work a living nightmare. Every person you have ever met or will ever meet, including those who have mistreated you or will mistreat you in the future, God loves every single one of them. And every person who has ever mistreated you or ever will is a person for whom Christ died. You have never been mistreated by anyone who was not in the mind of God when he allowed his son to die for the sins of the world. He died for all of us while we were yet sinners. He died for all of us while we were at our worst. Everyone who has ever mistreated you or will is a person that Christ died for. We respond to mistreatment well. We please God when we refuse to return evil for evil. When we refuse to harm those who mistreat us, when we, uh, we respond well to mistreatment, when we stand for the truth, we respond to mistreatment well by remembering that God is judge. He will decide and he will vindicate. And we're able to respond well when empowered by the Holy Spirit, we remember who the people are that are mistreating us. Their actions don't change, that they're created in the image of God, they're loved by God, and they're people for whom Christ died. Those of us who are enduring some type of mistreatment today, or will soon, God is speaking to us through this story of David and Saul. If David could respond this way, if he could respond well to his mistreatment at the hands of Saul, if David can please God 
in his response to someone actually trying to take his life, then we can, empowered by the Holy Spirit, respond well to those who mistreat us. We can please God in how we respond when we are mistreated. Now let me end with this question. Who are you in this story? Throughout the message, I have preached as if we're all in the position of David, the mistreated. But some of us might be in the position of Saul, those who are doing the mistreating. If you are in David's position, God can empower you today to respond well like David did. If you're in Saul's position, God can empower you to truly repent. Not just say you're sorry, but not have a change of heart like Saul did, but truly repent. And if you're in Saul's position, you need to repent. You need to change. Who are you in this story? David or Saul?